Welcome to Mosaic, the podcast from Education Development Center. Mosaic is a place to explore pressing challenges in education, health, and economic opportunity around the world. I'm Berkonofsky, senior writer at EDC. As many parents and teachers know, young children can solve a lot of simple math problems in their heads, but they often struggle to record those same mathematical ideas on paper. Why is that? EDC's Paul Goldenberg and Kristen Reed believe that it may be a challenge due to language, not mathematical reasoning. And to test this idea, they are introducing second graders to a new language, computer programming. In this episode, Paul and Kristen discuss what they have seen and why they think programming is an effective tool for expressing mathematical ideas. Paul and Kristen, glad to have you on the podcast today. Um, let's do some introductions before we get rolling. Kristen, can you introduce yourself? My name is Kristen Reed. I work at the Education Development Center, and I work in early childhood and elementary mathematics, doing curriculum development and professional development. Great. Thanks for being here. And Paul, why don't you go? I'm Paul Goldenberg, and I work in mathematics curriculum development, a little bit of computer science as well. I also work at uh, EDC. Uh, I've been here for, for forever. Well, welcome to both of you. So I want to start a conversation about language mathematics with a quick anecdote. Um, so this morning, as I was preparing for this podcast, I asked my seven-year-old to solve this math problem. 15 minus some number is seven. What's the missing number? So she thought about it for a little bit, but couldn't solve it in her head. And then she wrote uh, 15 minus blank on a piece of paper. So she was trying to write out the actual problem. But that didn't help her either. Uh, she eventually solved the problem by making 15 little tick marks on a piece of paper and crossing out seven of them to get eight. And I thought that was interesting because she was able to find a way to solve the problem, but it wasn't through standard mathematical notation, right? So she didn't just write 15 minus 8 equals 7. So my first question to both of you is, what is it about recording mathematical ideas using standard mathematical notation that's so difficult for young children? I'll start. For one thing, writing itself is hard. Uh, when you're a second grade, even when you're a second grader, you tend to draw your letters. It's a mechanical, long, difficult, slow process. And what you can blurt out quickly is a lot easier. It's also the case that if a child is, for example, writing about a picture that they drew and they leave out a word or misspell every single word in the, the written statement, you can still figure out what they meant. And it's clear enough if you make one little tiny error, one misplace one character when you're writing a mathematical expression, it's usually unintelligible or people treat it as just plain wrong. I think your example is a particularly salient one in in early childhood where you know kids aren't as familiar with that sort of structure. So writing the structure of seven plus eight equals 15 is familiar to them, but trying to find that missing number in there is harder. So she probably wasn't sure how to deal with that expression, what what to write down when she's solving that. So I think that's a really interesting question that you posed and kind of a gap between what she understands and what she can actually put down in notation. So I guess my follow-up question is, if children can do these mathematical calculations in, in their heads, why is it so important that they also be able to record them either on paper or explain them verbally? Right. Well, it's really important that they can communicate their ideas, that they can discuss it, explain it to other people. They can defend their thinking and they can modify it if and talk about it with someone else. So I think that's what makes it so important to not be, only be able to do it in your head, but be able to put it on paper. So there's a record of your work that you can come back to and talk about and, and kind of discuss and troubleshoot with other people. I think it also depends 
on what you're recording mm -hmm. and when in the stage of learning you're doing this recording. I, I was just this morning writing about a sixth grader who could not possibly have performed the complicated experiment that she was performing if she wasn't writing part of it down because there's just too much to hold in your head. So eventually they have to learn how to do that. The problem is learning your mathematics through this difficult medium. And mathematics is often taught as if it were a written subject rather than a mental act. And if you're doing it through a medium that's as hard as a second grader finds writing, that writing may actually interfere with your learning. Your question is why ever learn it? There's the sixth grader. You can't move on without some good language. Okay, I'd like to turn back to your work in Massachusetts. Um, so you've created a series of computer-based mathematical tasks for second graders, and children solve these problems using what I'll call a brick-based computer programming language. Uh, Kristin, can you explain the project and what you're trying to do? Right, so we're helping kids, or working with children to express their mathematical thinking through what we tend to call block-based programming language, and we're using SNAP, which is very similar to Scratch, but designed to really enhance the kids' mathematical thinking, really be a, a medium for expressing mathematical ideas. So we started in grade two, and what we started with is thinking about what are the core mathematical ideas that children are working on in grade two. And then we thought about how could we explore these ideas through a programming language. And at the same time, we were keeping in mind what are the key computer science concepts that we can target while we're learning these mathematics. So our team has been working in several elementary schools in the area and testing them out, testing out our ideas, testing out these micro-worlds that we've been developing in classrooms. We start in second grade, and we're scaling, and we're building micro-worlds that go through third, fourth, and fifth grade and follow the mathematical ideas. Our work is really focused on helping kids puzzle and problem-solve, so we set up the programming challenges as a series of mathematical puzzles that kids work through. And I think one thing that's really important and stands out about our work is that the kids aren't guided through the steps of how to solve the puzzle, that there's really a lot of opportunity for mistakes, a lot of opportunity for thinking things through, coming back and trying it a different way, comparing how you're solving the problem with a friend. Yeah, unlike an app, um, which this thing doesn't say, oh, great, you did it right, or oh, try again. Uh, the kids get the feedback by watching what they're trying to do and seeing whether it worked. To me, it seems like going from written notation to programming is a large jump, especially at a young age. So what was it about computer programming that made you think maybe this could work? Well, we had a, a couple of examples before us, so there's a little bit of a chance to watch and see whether it's just totally a... A, a pipe dream. But partly what appealed to us is that when children describe what they do, they also, they have a tendency to describe it in terms of examples, and they also have a tendency to describe it in terms of processes. So I, first I do this, then I do this, then I do this. That's very much like early programming. It's like, I mean, later programming will be more functional, more the quantity 2 plus 3 times 7, that says what the computation is, but didn't say how to do it. Uh, little kids will say, well, first I added 2 and 3, and then I got 5, and then I multiplied it by 7, and I got... So it's step by step, and it seemed programming would be 
first of all, less work for the kids. It isn't writing. And more like the way they talk. And we'll see whether we're right or not. But right now, it's looking very good. So take me inside the classroom. Um, what have you observed during some of your classroom observations? And I mean, how are children expressing their mathematical ideas through programming now? So one exciting thing that happened last week in classrooms was we were working with the place in, in place value. And on the second day we were there, we've been going in for three days typically, second day we were there, we introduced the repeat block to the children. Uh, in this micro world, children have like six blocks to work with. Plus or minus 100, plus or minus 10, plus or minus, one, sec, one block for each of the plus or minus and, and one. And Right. So they took over their repeat block and put in the plus 100. And then they took over the repeat, another repeat block and put in the plus 10. And then they took over the, another repeat block and put in the plus 1. So they were really seeing how, really seeing place value through being able to use the repeat block in their programming. So if they had one of the puzzles was build, for example, I'm not sure I'm going to get the exact puzzle right, but something like build the number you know, 263. And so they would know to repeat 100 two times, repeat 10 six times, and repeat one three times. And that's really building this expanded notation. It's really getting into a lot of the core ideas of second grade and building their understanding of multiplication before they've you know formally started the study of multiplication. Now, as you do this work, are you finding that students who previously struggled to represent their ideas on paper or who had a hard time verbalizing what was going on in their heads, are they having more success now that they're able to sit down and express their ideas through programming? So the way we're doing our research, so we bring stuff into the classroom, we find out what the kids do, the kids give us new ideas, we modify this, so we're constantly improving, getting a whole lot of ideas from the kids. But the final research step for us is coming in and working with a couple of the kids and finding out what they learned, not what we learned from them. And um, the, the method was supposed to be that the teacher would pick out three kids, one who was working above grade level, one who was working more or less at grade level, and one who was below. Uh, and the first time that we got the list, we had, after all, seen these kids for three days and worked closely with them and knew them pretty well. And we got this list, and um, several of us had no idea which one was the above, at, and below. And it was a little more obvious when we actually watched in the cognitive interview when they started doing stuff on paper. But in class, watching their solutions of these problems, it was pretty astonishingly the same. And we found just amazing engagement from the kids. You know, they're so excited. There was one boy who was new to the school and new to the country, English language learner, the teacher thought that he didn't know, you know basic second grade math, that he didn't really wasn't clear about how to add or subtract. But then when she watched him work in the micro world, he could do it. Like he understood how to solve the problems. He was at adding, he was subtracting. And so she was blown away. And it was really eye opening to her that in this format where the language didn't, it was a programming language, right? Not not English or Spanish, that he could really engage with the mathematics at a very deep level. Oh, that's interesting. So there was something about his ability to work directly with the mathematics instead of having to filter everything through language that allowed him to have success there. Yeah, I mean, we're not quite sure, but it's certainly something that we would want to keep investigating. 
Also, the kids get feedback from what they do. There was another girl in one of the classes, also a new uh, child to the school, who uh, had almost no English. And the teacher had been working with her. She was a very cooperative, very lively kid um, to try to get the idea of plus and minus. And it wasn't coming. But here, if you drag over a plus block and the number gets bigger, you see what that did. And you drag over a minus block. and So she figured it all out on her own. Yeah, kids are getting the immediate feedback from these, from just using the blocks and and, and yeah. writing their own scripts about what's happening. And I think that, that they don't get that same feedback when they write it down on a piece of paper. Yeah, it just sits there on the paper. Yeah. But here they it's see alive. what... It's alive. Right, yeah. yeah. So I guess the big question for both of you is, what does all of this add up to? I mean, is this research leading you to think that programming should be part of every child's mathematical education, whether it's kindergarten, first grade, or second grade? I think there are two answers. One's the intellectual issue and one's the equity issue. I personally believe that the intellectual thing is pushed a little too hard. But right now, programming, you asked about programming first. You know, if we're not trying to do the programming we're with all kids, we're selectively, just by habit and by the way the world works, leaving out the kids who are most likely to benefit from these extra opportunities and alternatives. So intellectually, it's a little different. Not everybody needs to program, at least not now. Who knows about the future? But I'm not such a prognosticator. For mathematics, it does look like the beginnings might be easier with this language. And later on, who knows? Yeah, I think there's a there's a couple aspects to that. You know, one is giving access to all children to see themselves as programmers, that that is an opportunity that That's is open to them. That's an important equity, yeah. That is an important equity issue, that they, that they can have access to this world. The second thing is, I think it's not just programming, right? We're, we're not trying to train every child to become a computer programmer. That doesn't make sense. But we do want them to feel like they, that this world isn't opaque. Yeah, that they it, could. That they could. Yeah. But we do want to teach them the types of habits of mind and the types of problem-solving skills that programming really opens up. Right? Because when you're programming, you are constantly kind of, you're having to think ahead. You're having to debug your what your program, what your script says. You are having to problem solve and really think through the steps that you're trying to take. And so those intellectual habits of mind, those problem solving skills are critically important for all children. So that's really, I think, at the core of what we're trying to teach. Um, and then finally, what advice do you have for school administrators or teachers or, or parents um, who are listening to what you've said and think, I'd like to try that. I'd like to try a little bit of programming or, um, you know, my own child struggles to record his or her ideas in mathematics. Do you have any advice for what they can do? Well, I'm going to do a little promo, which is that we are launching a new website, hopefully by March 2020, that will have these microworlds available for people to experiment with and play with, and also the teacher guides that are complementary to them. Now, those are by no means set in stone, and we're going to still be working on them by the time the website is launched, but it's also something that we would certainly appreciate people's feedback on. So I absolutely invite people to and it's try all free. them there. Yep. And Paul, any advice from you? I would focus on play and puzzling. 
And that's what I always say about mathematics. To a mathematician, we're not trying to build everybody into a mathematician. There aren't enough mathematician jobs. But for a mathematician, the mathematics is a puzzle. You're trying to figure out things. And nobody would pay a mathematician to do stuff that's already done. So the mathematician's job is always figuring out new stuff. Well, that's all of our jobs. We're facing a world that, in which there are new problems we haven't figured out. So you really want to help children get the idea that puzzling through and playing with it playing with it for a little while until you get the feel of it and then you can puzzle through, that that's a reasonable thing to do and that you can't possibly memorize all the answers because they don't exist. Puzzling, playing, programming. Well, I think that's a good place to leave it today. Uh, so Kristen and Paul, thank you so much for stopping by to talk about your work. Yeah. Great. Thanks, Thanks very much. Thanks for listening to Mosaic. For more information about EDC's work in early childhood education in the United States and around the world, visit us online at edc.org.